The scripture reading for today is Acts 10, 1-23. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared unpure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house, standing outside the gate. They asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up and go downstairs and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you are looking for. Why have you come? They said we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. Good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to another service. Some of you are in person. Some of you are still watching online. Uh, however you're watching this service today, we want to welcome you. It somehow is interesting that it seems like when Labor Day happens, there's this mental mind shift that begins to happen in all of our lives where we begin to think of now, we are in the fall, summer is over. Even though it's technically still summer, um, we have this mental shift that begins to happen. And so wherever you are, we are in the fall, technically not, but somehow we're still in the fall, and uh, we're glad that you are joining us as we continue our series on the book of Acts. We've been in the book of Acts from the very beginning, and now we are in chapter 10. And one thing we need to remind ourselves constantly as we are in this season 
that God is moving. Somehow we have a tendency to forget that as we are walking through this, in, this, this pandemic, that somehow we feel all alone or we feel like God has abandoned us. But I'm here to tell you today that God is moving, God is working, and we need to daily stand on the promises of God. Here's what I believe is happening in the world. In the midst of this global pandemic, what is really happening behind the scenes, when you look around, and most of us would probably say to ourselves, yes, this pandemic has created a massive, massive disruption to our lives, to the world, to the functioning of society. But here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice something very, very fascinating. Because when you look at history... The disruption that we are in, the disruption that we are experiencing in our lives today, those disruptions have happened in the past. Now, I know some of us have never experienced anything like this before. I certainly haven't. But disruptive events have happened before in the history of this world. You can think of the past world wars that have taken place. You can think of the plague that has taken place. Those events, those disruptions, I call them, have happened before. Those events have actually spawned spiritual awakenings. There is an emergence of people... Even in spite of the pandemic that we are in, there's an emergence of people who are beginning to seek a new reality, a new experience of God's presence. People are beginning to look for new meaning in life. People are beginning to look for a deeper, engaging relationship with God. People are more hungry for God today than they were a few months back. People are looking for something with substance. So right here, right now, yes, even in this moment in our culture, there is an uprooting, a disruption that is taking place. But I want us to think, in the church, in the body of Christ, I want us to think that God is moving in the midst of this disruption, but God is also filling the emptiness, the void, with a spirit-filled, faith-anointed, biblical Christianity. I believe that in the midst of this disruption, this upheaval that is transpiring in our world today, God is forming a new humanity. It is being forged in the midst of a global crisis that we find ourselves in right now. I like the words that a pastor in Australia, Mark Sayers, said. He said these words, We need a new generation of Christians engaged in mission, in kingdom vocational living, cultural engagement, and biblical justice. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit formed by the way of Jesus, and shaped by heavenly wisdom. And that is why we, a Warden Full Gospel Assembly, that is why we are studying the book of Acts. Because this book, this New Testament book called Acts, reveals a people 
that God still desires to form in this day, in this hour, in this age, right here and right now. That's why we are studying the books of Acts. And as you read through the book of Acts, and hopefully you've done that as we have walked together through these chapters, as you read through the book of Acts, we witness an incredible story where culture and society are turning because Christians are living in a manner that is God-honoring and filled with the Spirit. The way they are living the gospel, the way they have reorganized and reorientated their lives in in order for God's presence to infiltrate through them in their lives into the world with a new purpose. These Christians that you read about in the book of Acts are living the way of Jesus in such a compelling manner that the world is forced to take note. They lived a new kind of life. They lived a different kind of life. They lived a contradictory life compared to the rest of the world. Yes, they even lived an unconventional life, and in many ways, it became a controversial life. So my friends, as we go through and study the book of Acts, we want to learn from these people in the book of Acts. We want to learn from their example because it is a blueprint to our life pattern. And as you read, we need to ask ourselves the question. We need to ask ourselves, could my life, could our lives, could our lives potentially line up to this where we as Christians can totally influence our world, our sphere of living, our neighborhoods, our communities. Where people in our communities see a new and fresh and different and even contradictory life pattern that is different from how the world lives their lives. And so as we read a few moments ago, this chapter, there is a dramatic shift that happens in Acts chapter 10. I don't know if you noticed it as you were reading along in your Bibles or your smart devices. There was a dramatic shift that happened in Acts chapter 10. Because up until this point, the community of faith comprised mostly of people from a Jewish heritage. But now, now in this chapter, the community must address the fact That the Holy Spirit is working, speaking, engaging someone who is outside of the Jewish tradition. This chapter, chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, influences, listen to me, this chapter influences everything that happens in the church moving forward till now. This chapter is a pivotal chapter because what you see and what you need to understand from the very beginning as you read this chapter is you read about a man named Cornelius. And there's something very unique and very dramatic about this man Cornelius because Cornelius was a man of war. Secondly, Cornelius was a person who was affiliated and bound to the Roman state. 
Thirdly, Cornelius was a European transplant into the Middle East. And Cornelius was a leader and a mostly a wealthy, a, a most likely a wealthy individual. And so when you look at this person that is identified here, right at the beginning of Acts chapter 10, when you look at Cornelius and you review his life, and you transplant him into our culture today, he has what many people today are longing for. Cornelius has wealth. He has influence. He has power. He has control. And people in our day and age, people in our world, they aspire, they look to, they want to, they want to be somebody just like who Cornelius was. Until now, Christianity had been a Jewish movement, primarily focused to the Jews and to the Samaritans. And these people, Jews and, and, and Samaritans who became Christians, saw Jesus as their Messiah. And they formed a community of believers based on their common faith in Jesus. But Cornelius, listen, Cornelius is not Jewish. Christianity to this point was predominantly for the Jewish people, but Cornelius is not Jewish, and this is critical for us to understand. This Jewish, non-Jewish person who wasn't included in the community of faith in Israel the text still tells us that this man was a God-fearing individual. Look what it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 2. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. Now let me repeat something because it's very significant for you to understand this. It is important for us to understand that this man has it all. He has everything that so many people are aspiring to achieve in life. He has everything, yet he is still in pursuit of God's presence. Did you get that? Why do you think this man who has everything is pursuing after God? Because he realizes and recognizes something that we need to grasp as well. Because his position, his possessions do not quench the longing that is within his soul. The stuff that he has in life do not, do not fill the void that is in his heart. But there's another aspect that you need to understand as we need to review this. Because not only was Cornelius a God-fearing man, the Bible says that God drew near to him. God drew near to him. It reminds me of James chapter 4, verse 8. Because God is speaking to him. Look what it says in James chapter 4, verse 8. Come close to God, and God comes close to you. So God-fearing man, Cornelius, is pursuing, he's seeking after God. We know because the scriptures tells us God will come close to him. 
And the Bible goes on to say, wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for God, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And so what Cornelius is doing, though he has everything, there's a void within his heart. He's pursuing God. God is beginning to fill that void by drawing close to him. Look what it says in chapter 10, verse 3 of Acts. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of the Lord. See, God drawing close to him. An angel of, the, of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. This is so interesting, what is transpiring here. Because it challenges, it challenges the thinking that we have, the thinking patterns that we have in the church today. It challenged, these verses challenge us. Because there's a horrible tendency in people in the church today to begin to believe that God cannot possibly work in the lives of people or speak in the lives of people who don't know, who don't know Jesus yet. We think, if you're on the inside, if you're part of the church, if you've been a member of the church, you somehow have the inside track to hear God and you can hear the voice of Jesus. And if you're outside the church, God doesn't speak to you nor does he work in your life. There is this line of thinking that has permeated and become a part of church thinking, of religious thinking. But if you step across this line of faith, then God begins to work in your life. But if you haven't, if you haven't crossed the line, then you're left up to your own devices. Like somehow the God of the universe who created people in his own image, who transcends space and time, can't speak to someone unless they take this step across the line. I'm here to tell you that in Cornelius' case, that we need to embrace this because it is so interesting. Because when we go back and look at our own personal journey in our own encounter with Jesus, I would surmise that all of us who've encountered Jesus, we, we somehow, if we really are honest with ourselves and we look back into our past history, we have to realize that God was probably working, moving, and orchestrating things in our lives, in my life, before I even profess Jesus to be my Lord. Unfortunately, we have a tendency to forget. And we have a tendency to dismiss that detail and only focus on that moment of actual conversion where maybe that point of conversion was a little bit more dramatic. But friends, I'm here to tell you, we cannot deny the reality that God was probably... Not, I would say, more than probably, working in all of our lives prior to that moment of actually coming to a point of conversion. And that's what we see here in the story of Cornelius. Cornelius doesn't know Jesus at all. He just simply has a genuine desire to know God, to be in relationship with God the God of the universe who sees him, who hears him, and who now is speaking to him. But here's what I want us to understand. This chapter, or these two verses in this chapter, shows us something about who God is. It shows us that God shows 
No partiality to any person. And that is beautiful for us. It's a beautiful thing for us to consider today. Especially as God is inviting us to join Him in what He is doing in the world. The God who shows no partiality is searching for men and He's searching for women who will do the same and show no partiality between people. Because God cares as much to those people who are inside the church as He does of those who are outside the church. He has the same amount and the same love for them as he does for anybody who's in the church. And we can't miss that. And that's what God is looking for today. A people who show no partiality. And then look what happens next in this story. Verses 9 through verse 11 in Acts chapter 10. Look at this. The next day... As Cornelius' message were nearing the town, Peter went on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon. And he was hungry, and while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. What happens in these verses, in this next moment, changes everything for the church. You need to mark this verse down, verses 9, 10, and 11. This moment right here changes everything for the church. It changes everything in human history, as a matter of fact. And it continues, because of these two verses, it continues to have a ripple effect into our society today. These two verses affect our world today. It says here, A huge sheet, as it were, a picnic blanket. A picnic blanket is coming out. This is the vision that that Cornelius, uh, that Peter has. A picnic blanket is coming out of the heavens. And this is what we read in verse 12 of Acts chapter 10. Look at this. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, birds. And then a voice said to him, in this vision... A voice comes forth and says to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. Goes on to say in verse 15 and verse 16. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. I guess Peter was a slow learner. (laughs) It took three times for this to happen. And then the sheet was suddenly pulled into heaven. Now I want you to understand what is going on here. This is fantastic. God speaks to Cornelius. And while he's speaking to Cornelius, a day later, Peter has an incredible vision, and these two stories are beginning to come together and beginning to connect. And what is being described here is that a radical change 
is about to take place, a sudden, a complete, a dramatic, marked change is about to take place in this faith community, this new community of faith. The sheet coming out of heaven is a radical picture that literally destroys Peter's understanding of the world that he lives in. To Peter, this vision that he's experiencing here, this vision that Peter receives is a horror show to Peter. This isn't a blasé, come see, come saw type of vision, kind of lackadaisical kind of, no, 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 no. This is a horror show to Peter. This sheet contains animals, clean and unclean, appropriate, inappropriate, disgusting and desired, appealing animals and repulsive animals. Everything to Peter in his culture, everything that he was taught was forbidden in his life, was contained on that sheet. And the things that Peter is seeing on this picnic blanket together are items that in his culture were permitted to eat intermingled with food that his mind had told him. And what what he was taught, it also contained food that only godless people eat. The unclean people. There was food on there that the unclean people, the heathens, eat. And then the voice of God comes as he is looking at all of this food intermingled and mixed together, clean and unclean, that never should have been together. And God, this voice, is telling him, eat it. Eat it all. See, these are, fo- these, these, these are foods that would have been served at certain other people's table. And to eat this food would mean that you would have to fellowship with those kind of people. And in Peter's mind, in his, in his Jewish mind, to eat this food would mean that he would be invited into a community with people to eat these kinds of unclean food and Peter is saying there's no way I cannot do this I'm not going to violate my own culture I'm not going to go against my own religious teachings I can't even bear the thought of eating unclean food and never mind going into somebody else's house to eat this kind of food well we need to pause here for a moment I want you to catch the picture of what is transpiring here. Because there is something going on in Peter's life that you need to catch. Because these verses, these verses can be summarized in one word. What Peter is experiencing in his own personal life is that he has racist tendencies. And what the verses are describing here, what Peter felt about those people, can be described in one word, and that word is racist. 
You need to let that sink in for a moment. Those people he looked down upon because of what they ate. Those people were looked down upon because of their ethnicity. See, there was a negative attitude toward those people because of their culture, because of what they ate, because of their ethnicity. And what we are seeing here, the Bible is very clear. The Bible is, you need to catch this, the Bible, what we are seeing here is that the Bible is anti-racist. The Bible is anti-racist. Yet Peter has racist tendencies because I don't want to associate with those people because of what they eat. And literally what the Bible is describing for us here, the Bible is describing Peter's attitudes toward Gentiles. He can't stand Gentiles. He can't imagine eating with them. He can't imagine fellowshipping with them. He can't imagine sharing any kind of food with them. And so he rejects this vision. And then, notice what God says in verse 15. You need to pull this up. Verse 15 of Acts chapter 10. God says, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. God is rebuking Peter. Don't say that this is unclean if I have said this is clean. What God is saying here is, don't you dare call what I have made in my image unclean. Don't degrade any human being that I have made and love and despise them and say, I don't want anything to do with them. That's what God is rebuking him about. You need to underscore this. The Bible is absolutely and completely and totally anti-racist. And what we should realize through this vision is that for Peter, as uncomfortable as this may be for him, he is being invited by God to participate, to become through food a part of something that he never, ever would have imagined would be possible in his lifetime. He's being invited by God to see the bigger picture and to embrace and look towards other people, not just in his little enclave of traditions. Now, it goes on to say in Acts chapter 10, let's read this together, Acts chapter 10, verse 17 through verse 18, which is incredibly inspiring. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then, men sent by Cornelius found Simeon's house standing outside the gate. They asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Now let me put all this together for you. God speaks to Cornelius, this Gentile who eats unclean food, who is among a group of discarded people, those people. And simultaneously, God is giving a vision to Peter that appears to be an invitation to sit with this man and do life with him, something that is completely and totally unfamiliar to Peter. 
to sit with those who have previously re- been previously rejected, to sit at the table and have community and commune with them. And while Peter is considering this implication, this vision, and he's wrestling with it in his mind, there's a knock on the door. There's a knock on the door. As this blanket is before him, and Peter's been challenged to the core, he's contemplating this new reality, and he's being invited into the house of those people. I don't know about you, but to me, there is nothing that can be more clear than this. And this is why this chapter is so pivotal and so important in the history of our church and fellowship. God is doing something new. And God is opening the doors and windows of our understanding to show us what he sees when he looks upon humanity. That's what this chapter is showing us. God is expecting from Peter and from everybody who has followed Peter and is part of the Christian faith since then and considers them to be a disciple of Jesus, God is expecting all of us to have a specific response to this kind of moment. This is a teaching moment for all of us, church. Notice in Acts chapter 10, verse 23, Peter invited the men to stay the night. Notice this. The next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. This horrendous, awful horror show of Peter's ideas and his theologies being tossed and turned about and all mangled up. Now he's responding, and he's going to the house of Cornelius. He's accepting this invitation to go to his house. He didn't say, oh, I'm not comfortable to come to your house, so I'm just going to stay here. I'm more comfortable in this place in Joppa. I'm not comfortable going and participating in your customs. I'm not comfortable with the food that you eat. Peter didn't say any of that. Instead, listen, listen. Instead, right in the middle of his own pondering, in the middle of his own awkwardness, in the middle of questioning what God is doing, in the middle of his own uncomfortableness, of figuring out how all of this relates in the middle of having his attitudes adjusted, in the middle of having his racist beliefs challenged, in the middle of all of this, Peter says yes to the invitation. I'm going to go to Cornelius' house and I'm going to become a guest. This moment reminds me of Jesus during his earthly ministry where Jesus chose to be a guest in the homes of people. And the gospel, you notice, even in the book of Acts, in this first century, the gospel took on this posture of Jesus to be willing to go into the households of people and to be a guest in the world. 
And when I say to be a guest of the world, I'm talking about going into places that are uncomfortable by taking risks, taking the gospel, penetrating the world into the lives of people. That's what I'm talking about, being a guest. This, this is so opposite to the, how we think in the church and how we think the church should operate in our day and age. We, we want to be the host. A lot of times I hear this comment. When we, when we open the doors of the church building, we need to be welcoming to everybody. We've told ourselves that the best way for people to meet Jesus is to come here, to come into our place, come into our building where we are most comfortable. We think that the way to invite people to Jesus is get them to come into a church facility. But when we do that, we're asking them to be the guests. This is exactly the opposite of how Jesus operated. And this is exactly opposite to what Peter is doing in Acts chapter 10. I'm not saying that we should abandon and not practice hospitality, but what I'm talking about is a posture within our hearts and within our minds. What I do want to think about, what I do want to talk about, is what is our posture, what is our attitude as we live and walk and move through our day and in the world. Our attitude should be, we need to take on the posture of a guest where you have to let go of your preferences and submit to other people's preferences, where you participate in the unknown, the unfamiliar cultures, where you may eat food that is unfamiliar to you. You see, friends, in order to live as a guest, you have to live in an uncomfortable space. You're not sure of all the rules, where all the nuances, even the languages, and what words are right, and what words you can say, and what words cannot say. Listen, when you live as a guest, you have no control, no power. You have no ability to adjust to the moments. You, you, the, the, the certainty that you're used to is gone. When you, when you live as a guest, you always have this feeling of unsurety. You're but, but in order to be a guest in this world, you have to lay down your rights for the desires and preferences of other people, whether you agree with them or not. That's what's being presented here. On a very personal note and very personal level, actually, it's become a joke in our family because whenever we go somewhere or do something, I get very anxious when I'm unsure of stuff. I get very anxious when I'm going somewhere, and I get very anxious about a very particular topic, parking. The first question, yeah, what you're, some of you who are laughing at this, who are in the sanctuary, uh, the very first question I ask is, where, where are we going to park? And it's become a joke within our family, where, oh, dad's asking that question again, where are we going to park? And what is, the best time, what is the best time to go to this place in order to park there? Is, is there any cost associated with parking? Is this a safe area where we can park our car? I want my car to be protected. Is this a very safe location, this parking lot in the city? So to overcome this, I asked my wife to do a lot of research. I ask a lot of questions and I start thinking about parking and parking spaces because I want to know if I'm going to go to this particular spot is there going to be parking, and how is that system of parking going to work? I don't want any surprises. And then I try to paint 
and ponder in my mind how this is going to work in order so that I can be comfortable with this situation. Listen, you may think to yourself, why does he do that? Well, we all have our tendencies to do that in some ways or another. Because we don't like the feeling of uncertainties. The reason I am like that is because I don't like this feeling of uncertainty. Things may not go as I expect them to go, and I'm not in control. And when I, when I don't like the situation, then I begin to feel uncomfortable. And a lot of us, in a certain way, we like situations where we are comfortable, where things happen in a routine manner, so that I don't become uncomfortable. I want stability. I don't like surprises, and I don't like uncertainty. Which in that very distinct moment, that environment of parking, I'm trying to control and define and set in my mind what needs to transpire. What needs to happen in that space of time so that I feel uncomfortable. See, friends, can I submit to you that that's our natural inclination In all of our lives, we want to be the host, not the guest. Because in being the host, we can control the environment. We can control the situation. But here's the heart posture of a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is a guest in the world. We're not hosts. And that's what Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and verse 24. When you read this verse, look at this. Look at this verse. Jesus said these words. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Verse 24. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. When you read this verse, when you think about our world today and what you see, even in the church... You know what you see in the world today? You see, and this is even true in the church, you see people demanding things to be a certain way. People are arguing about their position. And this, this whole COVID epid epidemic has created a lot of fighting and scraping within the church even to push people, pushing their preferences. Should we wear masks? Should we not wear masks? Should we get vaccinated? Should we not get vaccinated? All these contentious issues are being risen up and people are taking positions. Listen, what Jesus is saying here today is die to yourself, die to your rights is one of the core principles of what it means to be a Christian. We are guests in this world. We are not hosts. We don't demand our position. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 reminds us how we should how we should engage, and how we, who we are in Christ. Look what it says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. See, friends, what the Apostle Paul, and I'm going to wrap up now, what the Apostle Paul is talking about is Jesus leaving heaven 
leaving the opportunity to be a host in order to come into this world and be a guest. Jesus came into this world as a guest into our culture. And Jesus is asking us, according to Luke chapter 9, will you be willing to lay down your life? Will you understand that you have died to self, that you now live in Christ? It's no longer I that live. It's no longer about me. This is what Paul is saying. It's no longer about me. It's no longer about selfishness. It's no longer about my individual rights. It's no longer about me consuming with that I need to consume, all that I need to consume. No, 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 no. I am a guest in this world. And that's why Jesus uses this terminology to describe his followers in the Bible. If you read the scriptures, what does he call us? He calls us aliens. The Bible calls us that we are not of this world. And therefore, since I am a guest, I am called to carry myself in a particular way. I am called to be unique in a certain way. I am called to be respectful. I am called to be loving. I am called to submit to one another. So let me close with this one question. Are we, and I'm assuming we, when I say we, I'm assuming we as Christians, Here's the question. Are we the kind of people that other people would want to invite into their homes? Let me ask that question again. Are we the type of people that other people would want to invite into their homes? Is the way that we are behaving, is the way that we respond to culture, is the way that we interact with people in our community, is the way that we are living our lives causing people to look to us who call themselves Christians. I want you to come into my house and tell me everything you know about that person, Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the words that were spoken today resonate within each one of our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would revisit our attitudes, our mindsets, our understandings to what is transpiring here in Acts chapter 10. You are calling us, Lord, in a very dramatic, powerful way by the anointing of your Spirit, you are calling us, Lord, not to be hosts and demand our way in this world, but you are calling us to be guests and in such a way live our lives respectfully so that other people may, say, may see Jesus in us and want to become acquainted with Jesus. I pray, O oh God, 
that your Holy Spirit would challenge us today. I pray this in his name. Amen and amen. Amen. I want you to go with God today. I want you to take this message to heart. And I want you to live it when you live in the world. Put aside the prejudices and let the Holy Spirit allow you to see people as Jesus sees people. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Amen.